Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Uh, hello and welcome to the program. You are listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Be sure to check out our Facebook page, the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I'm, of course, your host, Joey. And tonight we have another wonderful show. I always love bringing on old friends. He's not really that old. We just go way back. Um, he was a friend. He was a good ear, a good confidant in tough times. And he's a fantastic writer and managing editor of Fee.org, F-E-E.org. His name is Dan Sanchez, prolific essayist, specializing in clarifying economic principles and explaining geopolitics. He's contributed to antiwar.com as well as the antimedia.org. Dan has also delivered many lectures and speeches on economics and foreign policy. You can also find his writings and his talks collected at dansanchez.me. So without further ado, let's bring on Dan Sanchez. Dan, how are you this evening? I'm great, Joey. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you for being here. And first off, I have to say what I just told you when you called in. You are looking great these days, sir. <laughs> I don't mean to make you blush on the radio, but uh, you've gone through this whole change physically, and that's obvious to see on, on Facebook, but it really begins, I would say, at the mental level, where you make a decision to go, mm, I'm going to change myself in some way. What made you sort of say, I want to change my diet, my habits? Uh, where were you and where have you gone to? Kind of open up the discussion here. Well, I've lost 55 pounds, so thank you for the compliment. (laughs) Um, I'm, you know, definitely, you know, no George Clooney or anything like that. But, but I I feel healthier, and um, and with the diet, I think uh, keto, uh, the the ketogenic diet has has really worked well for me. Uh, I I I haven't done it um, the whole time I was losing weight, but but there were definitely keto periods. Um, and, and fasting is also really uh, effective. Yes. Um, you know, intermittent fasting, uh, you know, having like a really small window of time when you're eating during the day um, or, or like doing full-on like 32-hour uh, fasts and making sure, of course, that you drink plenty of water and you have enough vitamins and, and that you're not like in a dangerous uh, health, health situation to, to be doing something like that. But it's it's really uh, effective, and um, yeah, I've just kind of been on a self improvement kick. Uh, it's it's also been kind of some something that I've been writing a lot about. Uh, my, my writing has been um, mostly about themes on on liberty, um, but uh, but I've I've kind of uh, extended that to uh, the freedom philosophy and how it how it applies to your own life, how it applies to your uh, raising children, uh, I have a daughter, uh, four years old, and um, and how uh, the freedom philosophy can actually um, improve your your own life. And so I've just been really into that. 
Well, and I think sometimes uh, folks get wrapped up in either political philosophy or personal virtue or virtue for society, and it stays this abstract thing. And I've tried to start my own program, if you will. Um, I'm doing mostly yoga, and actually the guy who teaches me um, through his app, he's in Atlanta, and I'm going to try to get him on the show. He was my favorite wrestler as a kid, DDP Yoga. And I've noticed changes that as I've focused on the physical and just changed my habits, that it really is about first changing your mind. And when you apply discipline, whether in exercise or mentally, you can start to understand, okay, saying having a sense of fortitude or courage or having a sense of moderation isn't just this thing I need to memorize, wrote and repeat and repeat. It's something that I work towards and I live throughout each day. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really great approach. And I, I have an article about discipline. Um, uh, it's called um, the, something like the only true dis, uh, self-discipline uh, must be selfish, something like that. Hmm. Um, and, and so one, one of the big books that um, really kind of uh, inspired me on this uh, self-improvement kick was, has been uh, Harry Brown's How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. And he really applies the freedom philosophy to the individual's life. And, um, and one thing that I, I realized uh, was that for me that, like, I think everybody who goes, especially who goes through school and, and everybody who's raised kind of in a con- conventional way, that there, there's a lot of just obedience involved that... A lot of things that you do as you grow up, you do it to appease authority figures. Um, but then, when you graduate from uh, the last year of school that you that you do, and you're out on your own, then the authority figure's gone, and um, and you realize that it it wasn't any kind of discipline that you developed wasn't actually self discipline; that it was other discipline. Hmm. And so, once you don't have the need to appease any authority figures. I mean, I think that's why a lot of young people feel lost uh, when, when they f- first become independent and, and sometimes they lose control uh, in terms of, you know, excessive drinking, um, um, not being able to, um, to, to, to be productive. And a lot of times there's like the freshman 15, you know, oh, people, yes. people gain a lot, a lot of weight. They, they don't have, Know, discipline in terms of um, restricting their diet, and and so what I, I realized that a, a lot of a, a lot of the times when when we are like kind of beating ourselves up over not doing a good job, that, that that's sort of like the authority figures of our past, like in our heads, like haranguing us, and then we do better for a little while in order to appease those authority figures. But then, just like in class, when you're, you're goofing off, and then you get scolded by the teacher, and you do, you know, you stop goofing off for a while, but then once the teacher's attention is elsewhere, then you start goofing off again, because mm-hmm. really you're just appeasing the teacher. In the same way, when that sort of, like, parental voice in your head, like, kind of relents a little bit, then you just go back to your old bad habits. And um, so, so what I realized is that I needed to kind of, 
exorcise the, those voices. I, I needed on, on some level to be doing everything. Uh, <clears throat> excellence had to be for myself. It couldn't be for uh, impressing or, uh, or seeking praise for, from other people. And that's um, the topic of one of my more, more recent articles, um, How to Attain Outer Excellence and Inner Peace. And that can be found, again, folks, at fee.org, F-E-E.org. And you mentioned that it's almost like an addiction uh, state of mind. And I have to be completely honest with the audience. I think you know this a little bit about me, Dan, is I've had this exact issue you're writing about, that it's been sort of this back and forth between looking for immediate approval. It's probably why I'm in radio, because there's constant feedback. I'd... I need that sort of uh, approval, but I'm also, I, I withdraw. And so if I'm not seeking approval out in public, I withdraw into my own uh, hermit hole, and I was being incredibly unproductive, self-destructive in many ways. Um, and I've now realized, say, things like drinking. I'll have a beer here or there. I had a beer last night. But I used to, on the weekends, get very, very drunk, almost the brownout, blackout stuff. And one day I realized, why am I doing this? It makes me feel awful. It costs me a lot of money. It's almost like I'm starting from square one every single weekend, shutting off my mind, and I'm not growing and improving and improving. And you think this really does begin uh, in the way people teach their children. Um, I don't know if what my parents did, and I love my parents, but... I've had this sort of complex, and I'm working on it. But it starts early on, is your theory. Yeah, I mean, I think even good parents can be sort of manipulative, basically. And um, and it's easy for parents to, to be manipulative because children are dependent on parents for, for survival. And so... Um, you know, affection and and oftentimes validation and praise, just signs of any kind of signs of of approval, including rewards. That these sort of are indications to the child that that they have support, and um, children are kind of existentially anxious about adult support. It, it makes sense from a biological perspective because if if they weren't anxious if they if they didn't kind of naturally uh, seek uh, for si- seek signs of support from from adults that they wouldn't survive very long that, that children wouldn't survive to adulthood um, and and then signs of disapproval uh, or, or signs of in- indifference can can seem to indicate to the child that they don't have necessary support to, to get them through the period where, where they're dependent. And, um, and so what happens is that if, if a parent uses that dependency to manipulate behavior um, by, by using a lot of, a lot of praise and, and scolding to, to try to get them to do what they want to do, again, it's not really, the child is not actually learning self-discipline. Mm-hmm. The child is just, is being sort of trained like an animal 
to to just um, to just make sure that they have this this parental support so that they can survive. When when naturally, children are supposed to develop what uh, Nathaniel Brandon calls self-efficacy, where they grow in independence and they they pick up skills. And children love to to pick up skills. They they that's what play often is, is just exploring their own abilities and exploring the world, uh, and, and that's how they start to become more and more independent, and, and that's why children uh, want to do things without parental help and want, want to do things on their own. And so, so naturally, the, that sort of instinctual dependency on children, uh, of children on their parents would be replaced by growing independence and growing uh, self-efficacy, but but what happens if parents are too manipulative is that the children become addicted to constant praise or or, or avoiding constant uh, disapprobation, and um, and and they never really develop independence. What hap- What can happen is that even into adulthood. That that need that neediness for for external validation and that that fear of of external invalidation that that gets transferred to other people, and and so so you so that's why a lot of young people need constant praise at, at work, um, and or 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 in school from their from their professors, um, and so for some people that's that's why they they're uh, angling for for Facebook likes and. And in, attention on Instagram, uh, because it's sort of like this addiction to these fleeting, superficial signs of um, of approval from from other people. But the thing is that, like like we were talking about, that it's kind of like an addiction. It's it's, it's kind of like a drug. Hmm. And just like with a lot of drugs, the the each fix, each hit is is very fleeting. Like pretty soon you're jonesing for your next hit because. Ultimately, you can't really depend on you know every with a single sign of of support from from other people. You know that can be fickle. That you 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 don't know when that's going to uh, disappear. Uh, just just because in the same way that parents would you know vary would vacillate from from praise and scolding and praise and scolding, uh, and so so you're never really secure. You're always looking for that next fix of external validation. And the problem with that is that it's impossible to really focus on excellence and mastery when, when you're preoccupied with those fleeting superficial signs of, of external validation. Um, and, and really ex, like focused pursuit on excellence and, and mastery, that that is what develops true self-efficacy. And that's what... Um, develops long-lasting feelings of, of security and feeling that you are uh, equal to the challenges of life. Well, and I find that it could happen with a parent who's too hands-on or somebody who, say, is completely absent. So somebody didn't have a father figure or a mother figure at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the so-called daddy issues some people have, or mommy mm-hmm. issues. And you are not just speaking abstractly. Again, we're not just talking about things in the abstract. You, you, again, you said you had a four-year-old daughter, 
And I can tell, you know, you did this for yourself, but I'd imagine it comes full circle where I'm sure parents are raised a certain way when they were kids by their parents. And so they kind of end up in the same patterns with their own children. And a lot of people are behaving uh, subconsciously or unconsciously. They're not really thinking out. So I'd imagine this had a great deal to do with how am I going to raise my kid? Um, and you shared this lovely Facebook post. Uh, again, your daughter's four, and yet she came into the car and, and said something to you? I mean, what was this all about? Okay, I'll, I'll just read it. I said uh, yesterday, my four, or this was the other day, my four-year-old daughter gave me an impromptu mini-lecture on how water has no shape of its own but takes the shape of whatever container is holding it. Um, and then her, her mom reminded me later that she actually was talking about, she was also mentioned air and, and how air uh, doesn't have a shape of its own, but takes the shape of the container that is holding it. Uh, and I say, it it came out of nowhere. Evian, uh, my, my daughter and her mom had just picked me up from work. As soon as I hopped in the car, she started delivering her little scientific disquisition from her child safety seat. <laughs> she doesn't go to any kind of school. Neither I nor her mom have ever talked to her about the subject. I asked her if she learned that from a video, and she said, no, it's just something I know. And wow. it was a very, very happy moment. <laughs> wow, that is that is remarkable. So I imagine you know you don't want uh, to put it simply in how I'm understanding it. You know, you, your kid goes to reach for the hot stove, and you say, "Don't do that." But you want them to understand, "Don't do that," because it's going to burn you. It's going to hurt you. Thus, bad. You don't want them to not go about touching hot stoves or fire because daddy or mommy said no. Um, it's the complete difference. Uh, there, they actually understand. And what is your general approach with your daughter? I mean, it's—I was amazed when I was up there and visiting you that you know I looked over at the iPad she has, and it's like, okay, little kid playing a game. But it was she was teaching herself through a game. And I think there's just so much opportunity out there uh, for different ways of educating. And so what has been your approach? Because you said you didn't teach her this. She sort of learned it on her own. But I'm sure you've sort of created an environment for her to learn on her own. Yeah. my One of my big influences is Dr. Peter Gray, who is a um, biopsychologist uh, specializing in, in children. Um, and he has a, a column at Psychology Today. And he has this great book called free to learn. And in free to learn, Dr. Gray explains that children are naturally learning machines, that they are hardwired for, for learning, that they seek out learning, and, and that oftentimes what um, well-meaning adults do is, is actually get in the way of that learning. Um, and, and, and the act of play is Almost, almost all of it is, is actually about learning. That um, that when they play, uh, they are testing out their their own abilities, their own new abilities. They're uh, exploring uh, their imagination. They're exploring their ideas. Um, they're they're exploring the world, and and. That is, and, and oftentimes when they when they're playing, they're they're mimicking what what other people are doing. Mm. So they might mimic 
uh, older kids or they or they're mimicking adults and and they're constantly adjusting uh, their their mimicry of older people uh, by um, re- refining it so noticing the difference between what they're doing and what the older person is doing and and making refinements as they go that, that's how that's how kids learn how to talk uh, for example that um, you know kids well moving on I, I don't want to go too much into the weeds sure um, and so so basically um, it's what Peter Gray calls uh, trustful parenting just just trusting uh, that that you if your child is doing something that fascinates him or her then it's almost certain that it is developmentally appropriate um, so so if it's not uh, if, if the, then, then the child will get bored and, it, and will gravitate towards something else. Or if it's, too, if, it's, if it's too advanced and it's not developmentally important, then the child will get frustrated. And so for the most part, you can, you can trust the child to, um, to, to be doing what uh, is, it developmentally makes sense for them at the time. And so a lot of people will come back and they'll object, oh, well, you know, what if they're just playing iPad with the iPad all day, and so there's a lot of concern for for screen time. And uh, what, what Peter Gray says is that that the fascination with iPads often is a function of the fact that that with the iPad or the, the iPhone or whatever video game that that's the only uh, area of freedom that many children have hmm. in their life because everything else is so prescribed. And, and planned out by adults that that um, you know we're super paranoid about about playing outside. So so kids aren't really al- allowed to to um, to be f- like free range kids to to uh, to explore the world outside. That and um, and that instead of like free play, just everything there's there's uh, activities that are prescribed activities that are often adult led, where they're like learning exact specific things and so uh children get get frustrated by that and and whereas with at least currently uh, with the technology as as it is with with a lot of ipads and video games um that that that's it's really difficult to monitor that minutely and you know control every every little thing that the child does and so the, that that's like a little world a little virtual world of freedom that the child can escape to mm-hmm. to uh to to get away from the you know over regimented world that has been constructed in the real wor- world for, uh for him or her and um and that's not to say that ideally children should be you know Doing video games as, as maybe as or, or 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 videos or whatever they're doing on their iPad as as much as they're doing. I mean, ideally, they would have more freedom in the real world, and the, and then there would be a lot more appealing things about the the, the physical world uh, for for them uh, to explore. So so really, I, I think what what the parents' role is to provide the child with resources with just abundantly rich resources and and that includes material resources to uh things to play with um you know uh, 
if um, just if if you can afford it, having it at your house or or go, going to to places that that have uh, rich resources in terms of toys, activities, natural materials, nature itself, um, uh, building materials, art materials, just any books, computers, digital any, any uh, um, technology, um, but also human resources are are hugely important because. Because it's watching other uh, people, older people, adults and older kids, use these materials and, and, again, emulating what they do with the materials, that that they, they naturally gravitate to that and they naturally want to, to do what these, this, these, fascin- this, these fascinating things that these older people are, are doing and, and learn how to, how to do it almost as well as, as those older people. And so... Um, so really, it's just it's it's not a matter of direction. It's a matter of provision. It's a matter yeah. of putting things in front of them and giving them the freedom to explore the world. Absolutely. Again, folks, my guest is Dan Sanchez. He's the managing editor of Fee dot org f e e dot org, and uh, of course, I've had on Jeffrey. I've had on Brittany. Now, have you on Dan? I think folks don't have to go uh, too far in guessing how and where my heart lies and how I feel about you guys over there at Fee. Um, and what you're saying, I am lucky that I was still allowed to somewhat be a free-range kid. Um, I was talking with my brother last week about, you know, the first thing we watched after my mom passed was sort of the mock death, George Carlin's last stand-up special called It's Bad For You. And there's this one part of that special where he he goes into exactly what you were just talking about, how they have all these little play dates for kids, and they're scheduling everything for very young children, children your daughter's age, all the way through high school, and now we're even doing it into college. Uh, and what he he points out, whatever happened to a kid with a stick in the backyard? Uh, you know, and I think you're right about provision and providing things to be more creative. But I remember as a kid, we would run away from where the teachers could see us, and we built little forts out of sticks and huts. We declared war on this tree that had all these fire ants in there, and we thought somehow my friend Jason, I thought you know, putting Elmer's glue on the ants would do a number on them. It didn't seem to work. And as I grew up, I found that boredom, boredom was my number one emotion, especially near the end of high school. And as I went into college, I had a chance to talk to kids who were freshmen and sophomores in high school, and it was the same thing. There were kids passionate about art, who, who were, this girl showed me her sketches and they were remarkable. There's a kid passionate about hacking and doing computer coding. Uh, there was a kid who had almost no structure at all. He, he was you know, very, growing up very quickly, kind of felt these violent impulses, but they would suspend him and suspend him. And it kind of became this game of how can I break the rules to get to go home? And in each one of these cases, whether it was maybe a negative passion, like the somewhat violent kid or the artist or the computer hacker, I asked, is the school providing you with anything to help you develop this? And they all said no. And it's remarkable to me how bored people are, not only in school and in their childhood and young adult lives, but boredom seems to be sort of the... Uh, the word that people find they you know maybe find a show here or there but it's it's not something that they're going out and finding uh and it makes me worry that 
it is our lack of fostering early on creativity and teaching people that freedom is good for you. Like, if I could have jumped out of high school when I was 16 or 17 and jumped into an apprenticeship, whether with writing or something like radio or acting, I think I would have been better off. Now I get to do sort of neurotic radio, and I'm working out all my issues. But um, did you grow up kind of a free-range kid, or would you say that uh, you kind of had the traditional regimented school? I mean, I had Catholic schools, so I had a mix of both. I wouldn't say I was free range. Like uh, it, there, there was, but it wasn't as overscheduled as as kids seem to be these days. So it was it was somewhere somewhere in the middle. Um, but um, I remember one one thing about when I was a little kid is that I would have these obsessions. Uh, these I, I actually remember having like a word for it, where I would have um, fevers for things. Like I had like dinosaur fever when I was really little, and uh, and then I'd have like uh, I'd be really passionate about animals, uh, just like different types of animals. Um, and then as I got a little older, I, I started getting into toy series, and and you know back back in the eighties, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but there there was there. Every every uh, cartoon was actually just one long ad for a, for a toy franchise, and so I would like become obsessed with He Man, or I would become obsessed with with Transformers, and and today and with today's kids it would be like obsession with like Pokemon or um, or or Harry Potter or um, and and a lot of times adults will want to. Um, obstruct that. We'll 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 want to uh, limit that and limit it severely, even. Um, and this, but the thing about these these so and their reasoning is that like okay, well, how is Pokemon uh, going to help my child later in life? Right. But there's a reason why that's short sighted because it obsession itself. Like I say in, in another recent article, I say that obsession is the ultimate skill. So the child who is learning everything there is to know about Pokemon, that's only one level of what the child is learning. The child is also learning how to be passionate about something. Um, and, and that is a hugely important meta skill. So... If, if you have a propensity to be passionate about something and to explore every minute detail of it and to think about it night and day and to like do creative projects around it, that can be extended later in life. And it, and it is extended later in life with, with children who are, who are free enough uh, to computer programming to uh, musical, uh, in- mastering a musical instrument. Um, and, and, but the problem is that we, we crush that. Like, instead, with this pursuit of well-roundedness, um, we, we, we don't let kids pursue anything very long. It's like, okay, you'll, you'll do something and, and just, you'll, you'll do one kind of subject in school and then you have to rotate to the next one and then rotate to the next one. And so... Even even though you're forced to do it, um, 
and you you would be more interested if you were choosing it by uh, on your own free will. Um, but you, even if if you do get some enjoyment in spite of being forced to do it, you don't even have time to develop a true passion for it because you're just rotated to the next thing. Right. And um, and so kids, by by the time they're um, you know by the time they're teenagers, then everything just bores them. They 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 forgot what it was like to just immerse yourself into something. Um, and so I, I remembered that I had to relearn that. So, um, you know, so I, I, after my, like, sort of, like, very youthful uh, fascinations with, with these different topics, then, then I just be- became just, like, kind of bored with, with the world because I, I wasn't even free to explore anything uh, that extensively. And it wasn't until I finally escaped the school sy- system that I, w- I was free to um, to be playful again with my interests and to really explore uh, explore my interests, and that ultimately resulted in in the career that I have today. Well, and I I've had these conversations with my friends from college that so much of our college careers were jumping through hoops and grabbing this or that brass ring, and you'll find it. In adult life, I mean, you have certain organizations and certain types of bosses, or it depends on where you are that will say, follow the rules, follow the rules, and it'll pay off. But you realize it's not fulfilling. Maybe it's, it, you know, it could be work, it could be a particular relationship, it could be anything. And if you're not uh, feeling right about it and it's sort of going through the motions, it may be that you, you know, haven't found the right groove to be in. Uh, and, you know, speaking of children and we have to take a quick break here folks again my guest is dan sanchez the managing editor of fee.org but he is also a prolific essayist on his own and he is uh, you have an upcoming speaking event in atlanta i want to tell the folks about upcoming but before we hit this break i always do an album of the day dan and today because i've become this hipster type i'm listening to all this stuff on vinyl and yes vinyl is better than digital uh, if you can sit and just listen, uh, I had a reissued copy of, well, Electric Ladyland by Jimi Hendrix. And uh, Jimmy was a weird kid. A lot of people thought there's something wrong with this kid. He's always off in the corner in the playground by himself. He's in his own head. Well, it turns out that weird kid who was in his own head, obsessed with his own fantasies, would go on to create and change the landscape of music very much with this album. Coming back, we'll continue to talk with Dan Sanchez. Maybe ask him some about some music he was obsessed with or is obsessed with currently. We'll be right back. This is the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Stay tuned. Joey Clark. woman waits for you and me. So it's time we take a ride.
This evening is Dan Sanchez over at Fee.org. Now, I was listening to this album earlier today on vinyl. Dan, what music, what album have you been obsessed with? It could be from your past or right now. I know you actually used to create some music, so you're you're a music person. Yeah, I used to um, do some singing and uh, saxophone playing. I was in a jazz band. When I was a child, I was really into classical music, actually. Um, like, I was just um, obsessed, again, there's the word, uh, <laughs> with, with Beethoven and, and Tchaikovsky. And I remember um, kids laughing at me uh, on the playground. Well, it was, I remember this one kid, it was, it was like a, a friendly, he wasn't like mocking me. Right. But he, he, he was like... I see you rocking out over there, and I and I think it's like you know rock music, and then and then I listen to it, and you're like rocking out to classical music. Um, but uh, but that that's yet another thing that that I just kind of lost interest in. I just, it seemed like school. Like the more I went in through school, the the less of an interesting person I became. And and then it's only been recently that I've I've been getting into uh, classical music again. Uh, well, well, after college, I started getting in a classical music again. Um, yeah. Uh, by the way, you were p- playing uh, Jimi Hendrix and talking about his um, kind of self-education. We, we actually have an article on fee.org called What Unschoolers Have in Common with Jimi Hendrix, which I really oh. recommend. Wow. I, I missed that one. So I, I definitely have to check that out. Um, now, as you have developed in... You find yourself there at Fee in Atlanta. Um, I don't want to get too personal here, but I know you you kind of struggle with it. Like, where am I going to go in life? I've got a wife. I've got a kid. I've got to provide. I've got to figure out what I want to do. And what would you say, sort of in a nutshell, is your mission now at Fee? Because you've been doing a lot of these self-improvement articles and going through your own program yourself. But how does this tie into the larger mission of fee? Talking about you know free market economics, talking about personal liberty um, at the personal level and the political level. Yeah, I want to help people find freedom, uh, and 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 on one level that 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 is finding freedom from um, government impositions uh, that are unnecessary uh, and that you know, restrict. Uh, the degree to which people can pursue their own potential, their own human potential. Um, but a lot of these, a lot of restrictions um, are kind of with fr- from within. There, we, we have like kind of an un- unfree mindset. Um, some of it is picked up from school um, and, um, and sort of just freeing 
people from from that as well. Um, and um, and so I, I think that these two approaches that um, and that they're they're really co- complementary. Absolutely, I I think it works well together. And actually, the founder of Fee Leonard Reed. He was, uh, I'm the word escapes me, but he was a renaissance man in many ways. And I think that's so common with so many passionate entrepreneurs I've talked to and had the pleasure of meeting, whether it's somebody who's truly a businessman or a coach or a, a teacher or a musician, whatever, uh, that usually when you find passionate people, they have their particular passions, but they're able to discuss uh, a lot of the world. There And it's weird. It's almost counterintuitive. If you work on yourself and you find personal excellence, it almost makes it easier to relate to others and see where other people are coming from, whether they're resonating and finding excellence themselves or they're struggling. Would you say that you've found that as you've worked on yourself, you're easier to, it's easier to figure out when you're, why your daughter's feeling a certain way or why a coworker's feeling this way or why a friend is reacting in this or that way? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you might think that if you were less preoccupied with other people's fleeting judgments about you, that you would then kind of be more narcissistic and more self-absorbed and and less attuned to to other people's uh, what other people are going through. Um, but actually, I find that it's the opposite, hmm. that that the more um, comfortable I am in my own skin and the, the less preoccupied I am with, with fleeting judgments in other people, then the, then the less I am trying to uh, manipulate them into, like, responding favorably to- toward me. And the more just genuinely interested uh, I am in there. In, in, in them and their own interests and their, and their own values because it's coming from a place of, of security. Um, and, and so I, I found that, I mean, a lot of people talk about, I, I have the, um, this, an other article called The um, Sweet Sociability of Self-Interest. Mm-hmm. And, and I talk about how a lot of people will think that, okay, well, the freedom philosophy, you know, Ayn Rand talked about selfishness, Adam Smith talked about self-interest, you might think that people who are um, who are liberty-minded and sort of like um, self-oriented that that they might be like antisocial, um, but but actually um, they're not because the thing is is that um, society and and working with other people and helping other people is is in your self-interest. Like that, that is the, the most powerful way of, of thriving in life. Um, and so, so we, when you're coming from like a secure, um, non, uh, non-preoccupied, uh, non-needy uh, place of, of pursuing self-interest, and then it's, it's only natural that you're, you're going to want to, um, to have partners in, in business and, and in life, um, that, that it's, it's actually um, self-interest in, in the market and, and in, the free, in the free civil society, that that is a recipe for a natural friendship hmm. and, and not 
manipulative, um, a needy relations. Now, I was listening earlier today to, I think you know the guy, Russell Brand, British comedian, and he was, you know, talking about how he overcame his addiction to drugs and his addiction to sex, and he's trying to figure out how to be a, you know, more other-oriented person on a deep level, not uh, a shallow level. And I'm interested, he kept, one thing when I was listening to his discussion, it was on the Joe Rogan's podcast, is... Uh, that he kept bringing up, oh, how people are commodified, how money and capitalism is ruining things. Now, if he's talking about the current world system as capitalism, maybe you and I could both agree with him. Some things would need to be changed. But do you think there's some wisdom to say the uh, when the Bible says the root of all evil is the love of money, that instead of looking at money as a means, that is necessary for a working robust society that gives us all these wonderful things we enjoy today in the modern world and some people do become too obsessed with money for its own sake they see money as an end and possessions as an end rather than as part of fulfilling their own obsessions with uh, self-fulfillment it's essentially letting external things uh, define you rather than defining yourself and letting what you enjoy you know come as it will it just seems to me that it's important for us, yes, to talk about selfishness and self-interest, but to say there is some value to the critique of folks who are so materialistic and only keeping up with the Joneses and pursuing money for money's sake rather than uh, you know, really looking at how they can use money to better themselves and in the process others. Well, a lot of the times it might seem selfish but in, uh, or, or self-oriented, but actually, such a preoccupation is very other-obsessed. So, mm-hmm. um, so a lot of times when people are obsessed with, you know, bling, with, with nice with fancy cars and, and stacks of money, that it's all about ostentation, that it, it's, it's all about um, flamboyantly showing off to, to other people. Because, and, and again, that at bottom is... Uh, a, a preoccupation with with the fleeting um, judgments uh, of of other people, and um, and so so actually and and so that is very unhealthy. But precisely because you um, you are obsessed with 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 fleeting the fleeting judgments of of other people. Yeah, it, it's very counterintuitive, and I find it, maybe it's a problem with folks who defend the free market, um, but I think it's generally an issue with education and the ideas out in the world, is people equate greed and sort of materialism, what some call consumerism, with what you and I would probably describe as free markets and the value of having money, the value of having a free economy and prices. And there's almost a lot of work to be done to say, no, the the really greedy guy who doesn't care for others, but he is obsessed with showing off and signaling to others, is not what we want. Uh, we really just want people to have the freedom to pursue valuable relationships and valuable self-identity. Yeah, I mean, people, um, like, a lot of these entrepreneurs that, uh, that a lot of people admire that are eminently and obviously admirable, a lot of times what you'll notice is that, um, that they're obsessed with excellence. 
that that they're obsessed like like you know someone like like Steve Jobs mm. um, he, he obviously was obsessed with excellence and and self-actualization and like like he put it uh, putting a dent in the universe and money is a metric for that and and for for the for like the healthy entrepreneur I think it's limited to being a metric uh, uh, because otherwise it it would be sort of arbitrary so like you, you just you know do a lot of things and if if there's no sort of market feedback for it uh, you, you don't know whether you have actually made people's lives better absolutely and 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 that is the function of profits in a market economy is that it's an index of how much you've made people's lives better. How you're um, serving others. And I hate to cut you off, and we're just getting going. The show's pretty much over, man. <laughs> okay. The hour's over. So, again, folks, my guest tonight was Dan Sanchez. Check out his work at fee.org, F-E-E.org, to explore some of the ideas we've discussed tonight.